Okay, it's on now. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, good morning, Calvary Chapel, and honored guests. I've heard that we even had some people from the Philippines watching. I don't know who around the world is, might be watching. This is just an exciting opportunity, and we are glad that you can join us over the Internet, over Facebook, YouTube, and uh, we're thankful that... Uh, we have this, this means of being able to communicate and be together. As you know, in Calvary Chapel, we generally uh, teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And if Tom were here this morning, he would be picking up right where he left off last week in Colossians chapter 3. But he's not here. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, and then, But this is the first Sunday of the month, and generally on the first Sunday of the month, we celebrate communion. So when we get to the end of the service, we will be turning our thoughts towards Communion. Um, Joey's out here and uh, helping with the streaming and stuff. And, you know, I was thinking about uh, the fact that Jesus is coming back again and, 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 and the, all the good things we sang in this last song, He is worthy. And, and uh, I, I had a dream. And, and I dreamed that I went to heaven and I saw Peter at the gate, and, and Peter said, uh, well, Bruce, your name's on the list, and you can come in, but there is a little problem. Uh, you really didn't do that well, and so you can come into heaven, but you're going to have to spend eternity with this gorilla handcuffed to your arm. And I said, I thought everything was all taken care of, and of course, this is just a, a dream, you know. And he said, yeah, well, you know, most everything's taken care of, but you still got to spend eternity with this gorilla, and I don't know if I like this idea. He said, well, you know what your alternative is. I went, okay, give me the gorilla. And so the gorilla and I, we go into the gate, and we're walking around looking at the wonders of heaven and the joy that's there and, and feeling pretty good. And then I hear a sound behind me, and I turn around and look, and there's Joy. And, and, and Joy is handcuffed to Natalie. Well, I thought, well, man. I would love to be handcuffed. Bonnie and I love to be together. We like doing things together. We like going places together. I would love to be handcuffed to Bonnie for eternity. But I got this gorilla instead. And it just, you know, I'll just be honest. It kind of made me mad. It kind of made me angry. And so I, I whooped that gorilla around. And we headed back to Peter back at the gate again. And he was busy doing something. But I just interrupted him. I said, Peter, what in the world's going on? How come I get to be chained to this gorilla for eternity? And it's an ugly gorilla at that. And he said... And I see Joey, and he's handcuffed to Natalie. And he gave me this look like, Bruce, are you, are you, are you stupid? Uh, he said, Natalie had to pay her dues too. <laughs> a little bit of fun at Joey's expense. Of course, I didn't, have a, I didn't have this dream. It's just a joke. And as all jokes about heaven and hell go, they have no constraint to the truth. There's no theological ties to it, to it or anything. It's just for, for the fun of it. Um, but, he, but moving on, <laughs> uh, there was a song. Here I'm going to show my age a little bit. If you, Some of you old-timers might remember somebody named Nancy Honeytree. Honeytree sang a song about heaven's going to be a blast. And... Um, she uh, she sings about how she didn't think that heaven didn't sound like much, didn't look like it was going to be any fun or anything. But once she got saved and once she received the Holy Spirit, she's looking for the return of Jesus. And as we're all gathered together with Jesus, uh, she says, uh, we're going to be singing happy days or here at last. 
don't I know heaven's going to be a blast? And that might be not be the most theologically profound way of saying it, but I think it, it's a ringer. It's um, a true statement that heaven's going to be a blast. Why? Because that's where Jesus is. And that's where we want to focus our attention this morning as to where Jesus is. In Psalm 16, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. To be with God, to be with the Father, to be with Jesus is to be where the fun is. That's where the joy is going to be, and it's going to be a great joy. It's going to be a no-room-for-anything-else kind of joy. It's going to be a forever joy. Um, So we're looking forward to that. So before we turn our attention to the Word of God, let's go ahead and pray for for His Word and for this time that we have here in His Word. Father, we're thankful for the good report we've had on Tom and that he's, he's doing well, and we ask that he would indeed be able to come home this morning. And Father, I can think of probably right off the top of my head about a half a dozen other people who are suffering from physical uh, illnesses and physical problems this morning, and I ask that you would bring healing and peace and joy to each one of these. I ask you to help them, those in our fellowship, the brothers and sisters we love so much here, we ask that you would help each one of them. We ask that your blessing would be on your word. We ask that you would uh, continue to watch over us, and uh, we ask that you'd open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your your word. We ask that we be captivated by the truth of your word this morning, by who you are, and and that this look into your word would help captivate our love, secure our love for our precious Lord the King, our precious Savior, Jesus. So we ask it in his name. Amen. Before we actually, we're we're going to be reading for the book of Revelation. That's the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you might want to open up to chapters 4 and 5. We're mostly going to be reading for 5. We'll really read a little bit in 4 as well. But before we actually read it, I just want to share a few verses to encourage you. They should be coming up on your screen. Uh, I taught uh, a week ago last Wednesday regarding being faithful in little things, yes, even in the mundane things, being faithful. And um, I know that sometimes that we can know, we can know that we are where God wants us to be. We can know that we're doing what God wants us to do, and yet we can become weary of well-doing. And this morning, I want to encourage you. Um, It doesn't do any good to say something like, never give up, never surrender. Yes, that's another movie quote. Um, That might last for a little while, but let's look at the Word of God on that. So if we look at um, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So, no, we don't want to give up. God has told us that a reward will indeed come. We will reap if we do not lose heart. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28 Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be encouraged. Remember that our labor is never in vain when we labor for the Lord. He's coming. He's coming soon. His reward is with him. So what's the key? We sometimes feel like we're... um, getting weary of well-doing, and yet we know that uh, we're not supposed to do that, but we're supposed to be faithful in little things. What's the key? What do we do? 
Well, that's also given to us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The secret to not becoming weary is uh, picking up in, in uh, Hebrews 12, 2. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the answer to the question, how do we not grow weary of well-doing? We're to look to him, both to his example and what he's done, and also look to him as the goal. So if you're running your race and you're being distracted by things around you, we're supposed to look away to Jesus. This uh, word for looking away or to looking to Jesus it's uh, only used a couple of times in the New Testament. It's a present tense. It's telling us to continually look to Jesus. Um, so we need to not be looking at the things that are distracting us, the things that um, depress us or the things that overwhelm us. Stop looking at those things and focus our attention on Christ, on the goal where he is, looking ahead to him. Jesus is waiting. The word author, that's not a bad translation, uh, if I had to break it down, I'd say it probably meant the, the chief leader. Uh, but I kind of like the word originator, the one to whom anything owes its origin. So he's the author or the originator, the chief leader, and he's the finisher. Uh, this word is only used this one time in the New Testament, the only place it shows up. In fact, not only is it the only time it's used in the New Testament, this word is not found in any writing of antiquity, any Greek document. It is thought by some that the writer to the Hebrews actually made up the word, which I know I've done that when I'm teaching. I'm trying to explain something. I can't think of a word, and so I get a word that's probably a little close, and then I start adding things to that word, and I come up with a word that doesn't exist. Uh, and I think maybe that might have been the case here, that uh, he came up with this. So what does it mean, the finisher? The one who completes, perfects, brings to the goal. Now, I didn't say or. He didn't, didn't complete or perfect, or bring to the goal. This is all three. He's a perfecter. He's the perfecter of our faith. He completes. He perfects. He brings to the goal. He's the one who has in his own person raised faith to its perfection, and so he sets before us the highest example of faith. So that's what we're all about this morning. That's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to look away to Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus, uh, and we can do that two ways. We can look forward to him. We're going to start with that one uh, as the goal. That's why we're looking, going to be reading from Revelation chapters 4 and 5. And as we get ready for communion, we're going to look back at what he's done. So today, it's all about Jesus. Now, I like talking about Greek, and I like talking about Hebrew, and I like, I like teaching the Bible. But my favorite, <laughs> my favorite is talking about Jesus. My favorite is to talk about Jesus. He's so important to me. I love him dearly. I am so thankful for what he's done in my life, his rich blessing. We are so, so blessed. And so we're going to focus on him. So I don't want to read all of chapter 4. 
but let's just summarize it a little bit and say John was taken up into heaven and he saw the, the throne room of God. He sees God sitting on the throne. He sees all the things around that, the, 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 the rainbow, the, the sea. He sees 24 thrones and 24 elders in verse 4. And he hears the lightnings and the thunders. And he sees the seven lamps and he sees uh, the, uh, the sea, of uh, sea of glass like crystal. Uh, in the midst of the throne and around the throne. And he sees the four living creatures there. <clears throat> These four living creatures in, in the middle of verse 8, they are crying out. It says, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give Glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And then... As we come to chapter 5, our focus of attention changes just a little bit here. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? At this point, we hear crickets. Because in verse 3 it says, And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to reopen the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. Somehow John knew there, that this was an, there was an incredible, incredible gravity weight here. He knows that this is important. It says, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Actually, in Greek, that's a, a uh, grammatically, that is to stop doing something you're in the process of doing. He says, stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though he had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands 
saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Then let's just flip the page over to chapter 7. I want to pick up chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. Chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the, and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. These verses... This whole scene, I, I, Tom has said that he's planning on teaching on the book of Revelation in the near future. After he gets done with Colossians, I don't know if he'll get something else, but Revelation's on his list, his, his nearby list. And so he'll be going through this verse by verse. I want us to just get the big picture of what's going on here. So that's why we looked at the whole thing this way. And we are looking at a great worship service going on in heaven. Worship to the Father, worship to the Lamb. And personally, I think that if you... I think there's a problem if that doesn't get you excited. It gets me excited. This is just, this is wonderful to see Jesus being proclaimed as worthy and being worshiped and being honored and glorified. I get great joy in that alone. This is so good. The song we sang earlier, Is He Worthy? Obviously, that's based on this passage of Scripture. We want to look away to Jesus. That's what the writer to the Hebrews said. Look away to Jesus you're feeling like you're getting behind in the race or you're having difficulty with the race stop looking at the things around you look to jesus and that's what we're doing this morning look to jesus why is he worthy he is we've seen that he's worthy to take the scroll he's worthy to open it nobody can take that scroll ever could take that scroll he can do it he's worthy He's worthy not just to take the scroll. He's worthy to break the seals. He's worthy to open the scroll. Since he's worthy to do that, he is also worthy of power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing. Certainly, he is worthy to do this. Why? Why is he worthy? That's back in verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll. Because you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. People from all over the world. Now we have hope. Hope of a future. Hope of being with the Father. Being with the Son. Joy. Great joy. So he is worthy of our running our best race. He is worthy that we should look to him to run our best race. He is worthy. Is he worthy that we should not grow weary? He is. Is he worthy that is he worthy that we should not give up? He is. 
Is he worthy of all of our love? He is. Is he worthy of all of our obedience? He is. I remember years ago reading a story, whether it was a parable or whether it's true, I don't know. This has been 30, 40 years ago. It was about a woman who was married to a man, and he was, um, he ran a tight ship. He gave her a list of everything she's supposed to do. She is supposed to get up at a certain time, have his breakfast ready at a certain time. She was supposed to clean certain areas of the house on certain days of the week. And he had, she had a list for every day, for every day of the week, of all the things she's supposed to do. She hated that list. She hated him. She hated life married to him because of the way that he ran the house. And then one day he died. And she eventually married somebody else, somebody who's kind, somebody who's loving, somebody who understood her. And she was pretty happy. One day she was doing some cleaning around the house and she was cleaning out a desk and she found her old list from her previous husband of all the things she's supposed to do. She's reading through the list and she said, well, get up at this time. Well, I still do that. Uh, Have breakfast ready. I still do that. Cleaning the house. I still do that. But it was different. She wasn't doing it because it was demanded of her. She was doing it because she loved him but she's still doing the same thing. And so a week ago, uh, no, it was just last Wednesday. Just last Wednesday I was talking about um, uh, obedience to Christ. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the one who doesn't love me doesn't keep my commandments. So keeping his commandments. But we talked about the fact that love is more than keeping commandments, but love is not less than keeping commandments. Is he worthy of that kind of love? Is he worthy of our obedience? He is. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, what good thing do I need to do to enter the, the eternal life? Jesus said, well, you keep the laws, and Jesus listed a few. He didn't list a, a lot of them. He, he, I think he deliberately left out the ones where the rich young ruler was struggling, but he said, I did, I've done all these things. He said, and, and Mark tells us in his gospel that Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted him to be saved. Jesus wanted him to be his follower. And so Jesus said, you do lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And he went away sad because he was rich. Was Jesus worthy to make that demand? Was Jesus worthy to tell him that that's what he needed to do? Sell everything, give it to the poor, follow him? Oh yes, Jesus was worthy. He is. He's worthy to make that type of request in our lives. If he leads us into sacrifice, is he worthy? that we should follow him into sacrifice. He is. Is he worthy of owning us and everything we have? He is. Is he worthy of our time, time in his word, time with him in his word and in prayer? He is. We, he is worthy of us taking the time to spend time with him. Is he worthy of all of our efforts? He is. Is he worthy of all of our strength? He is. 
Is he worthy of all of our worship and adoration? He is. Sometimes we sing, forever my love, forever my heart, forever my life is yours. Is he worthy of that? (laughs) He certainly is. Is he worthy of that level of affection? He is. Is he worthy to ask anything of us? He is. He told us to deny ourselves. Is he worthy of that? He is. He tells us to take up our cross. And sometimes we get this idea that taking up a cross means that it's uh, some type of affliction, some kind of difficulty, something that's hard in our lives. That's not what the cross is. The cross is a means of execution. The cross is a hangman's noose. The cross is a electric chair. The cross is a lethal injection. The cross is a way to die. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. Is he worthy of this? I see heads nodding. Yes, he is. Second Corinthians five fourteen through 15 tell us that we believe that one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. He is worthy of this lifelong devotion. And all the other hard passages in the Bible, like like denying yourself, taking up your cross. Uh, He says, if you uh, put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Is he worthy to expect that type of devotion? He is. He says, you have to love me more than anybody, more than parents, more than children, more than spouse, more than anybody. Is he worthy of that kind of love, to be loved more than anybody else? He is. I remember back when we lived in Wichita, so this would be probably at least 30, 40 years ago, I was um, having a problem. (laughs) Uh, I was kind of complaining to God, okay? There's been a couple of times in my life where God has had to just, just really rebuke me, and this was one of them. There were people at work, and we'd get in these discussions about um, social issues, which are really moral issues like abortion and that type of thing. And, of course, I would take a biblical stand, a stand for the truth, a stand for God's view on things. And, I, and it seemed like I was constantly in contention with these people at work. And so I was walking after work. And I was, I was, I, I, I could take you to right to the place where this happened. I remember it so well. I remember right where I was. I wasn't far from home. And I said, Lord, it'd just be so nice if I could just share the love of Jesus with these people. And I just wouldn't have to be, it just seems like I'm constantly in contention about it. And God spoke unto me in, in no uncertain terms, just as, just as plain as could be. And he said, they didn't like it when the prophets did it. They killed them. They didn't like it when John the Baptist did it. They cut off his head. They crucified incarnate love. What makes you think, Bruce, that they're going to stand up and cheer for you? I slapped my head. I said, you're right. I'm wrong. 
if this is the way that my Christian walk is to go, if this is your calling on my life, I am okay with this. And there are people who think that I like contention and I don't like contention, but I have learned from God that this is a part of my Christian life. That's a part of where he's called me, and, I, and contention is a part of it. So sometimes I will be abrupt or something, and people go, you just like contention. And no, I don't like contention at all. But is he worthy that I would be uncomfortable about this? Is he worthy that I would live uh, in obedience to him in this? And he is. <laughs> the other time, I, 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 since I've started down this this track here, the other time that he really got on to me was it was a time in life I was really busy. Um, I was, of course, I was working a full-time job, had a, a wife, young children at home, so we're busy anyway. And then I was leading a home fellowship. I was the treasurer for the church. I was the worship leader for the church. Um, I was part of the leadership of the church, so I had meetings to go to. And there was, of course, there was counselings, and there was discipleships uh, meetings, and I just had no time for anything. I was filled up. My schedule was filled up, and I was kind of complaining to Bonnie about it. I could, I could tell you exactly where I was. We were back in our bedroom. Uh, we were standing right next to the bed, and and uh, and I, I said, it's just, it's just so busy, so full of my schedule, so full. And I was kind of complaining about it. And so we finished the conversation and Bonnie went into the other room and I just laid back on the bed with wise. And just as clear as could be, I heard after you've done everything you're supposed to do, you should say, I am an unworthy servant. I've only done my duty. I would like to say I've only done my duty. I'm not sure I can even say I have only done my duty. Maybe I've done some of my duties. I, I really have apprehension to say that I have. It's another one of those head slappers. I slapped my head, said, you're right, I'm wrong. I got up, went in and apologized to Bonnie for unloading on her about how busy I was. Is Jesus worthy of all of our service? Oh, by the way, that comes from Luke chapter 17, verse 10. And Jesus was actually talking about forgiveness. Is he worthy that we should forgive others? He is. He says if we don't forgive others, he won't forgive us. And he said that if people sin against us over and over again, we need to forgive them. And the disciples said, increase our faith. And Jesus said, when a servant goes out, works in the field, comes in the house, the master doesn't say, oh, you've been working hard. Here, let me help you. Uh, He doesn't say that. He says, fix my food. I'll eat supper. And then after I've eaten, you can eat. And that's when Jesus said that once we've done what we're supposed to do, we should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Is he worthy of that? Yes, he is. If he calls calls us to hardship, calls us to sacrifice, he's worthy. We could go on to horrible deaths listed in the Fox's Book of Martyrs where Christians, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, were burned alive as human candles for the emperor. We could look at all the horrible things that have been done. Is he worthy that his followers should die like that? He is. We could look at the, the uh, 
the uh, tradition concerning Antipas. Antipas is actually mentioned in uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus calls him my faithful witness. We don't have in the Bible what actually happened to him, but tradition says that he was told to recant his faith in Christ, to turn away from Jesus, and he said he would not do it. And they said, his friends were saying, Antipas, the whole world is against you. Then Antipas said, then I am against the whole world. And tradition says they put him in a large hollow bronze bull, lit a fire under it, and roasted him to death. Is he worthy of this? The persecuted church nowadays, who are going through terrible things, is he worthy that his followers would follow him in suffering like this? He is. If he calls a family member, one of your children, to serve him on the other side of the planet, is he worthy that you should let them go? He is. If he called you to separate from your family, is he worthy that you should go? Yes, he is. The Moravians, who were influenced by the teaching of John Wycliffe through John Huss, were set out to evangelize people for Jesus. And they had a place they wanted to go to and take Jesus to these people, and they could not go there. The only way they would be allowed to enter that country was to sell themselves as slaves, to go into that country. And so some did that. They sold themselves as slaves to go into that country in order that they could share Jesus with this people, this people group. As they were leaving, they're on the ship, they're waving goodbye to their friends and family, people they would never, ever see again for the rest of their lives. The people on the bank are crying because their loved ones are leaving, going away to live a life as a slave in some other country. And as the boat's leaving, they hear one of them, one of these faithful brothers of the Moravians, cried out across the water in order that Christ may receive his full reward for his sufferings. That Christ may receive his full reward for his sufferings. Is he worthy of that? He is. And the Moravians knew it. The Moravians were aware of this. How can he be worthy of this? We've looked at it. Because in chapter 5, verse 9, it says, You are worthy because you were slain. And you redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's worthy. So when we get to looking at ourselves and our things around us, we can say, I don't deserve to be treated like this. But we also know how we really truly deserved to be treated. We know that we really should draw that card in the monopoly of life that says, do not pass, go, do not collect $200, go straight to hell. That's, that's what we deserve. But we're thankful for the Lord's mercy and, and, and kindness, <clears throat> his grace to us in providing eternal life through Jesus Christ. The wages of sin are death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's free gift for us. It cost him dearly. That's why he's worthy. It cost him dearly. He took the treatment we deserved. He didn't deserve the treatment. We deserve the treatment. He took it for us. 
so that we don't have to taste hell. The good news is that if you're saved, if you belong to Jesus, your life on this this life and this world is the closest you'll ever be to hell. However, if you don't know Jesus personally, this life is the closest, the closest that you're going to know of heaven. Jesus paid the price for us. And so we can see a picture of that in the book of Isaiah. I think they're going to have that on the screen for you here. The book of Isaiah 53, Isaiah had a ringside seat to the sacrifice of Jesus. And he says, verses 3 through 10, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded or pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him by his stripes which means the blows that cut in, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off, cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There in verse 10 where it talks about he made his soul an offering for sin. The word in Hebrew is asham. Asham is the same word that's used in the book of Leviticus for the guilt offering. He was the guilt offering. I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And prepare for the communion song. And as they do, I want us to continue to consider why Jesus is worthy of all of our love, all of our worship, all of our time, all of our obedience. The Messiah, Jesus, is the one who became our guilt offering. He was treated horribly to pay for our salvation so that we can be with him and with the Father forever. He purchased such great salvation, the hope the future, the joy, the grace, the love, the mercy. We owe him everything. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice and your provision for our sins so that we can be forgiven and live forever with you and the Father. And that will be perfect joy to be with you, to be with the Father. Thank you for your devotion to uh, fulfilling, accomplishing what the Father, what the Father's will was to, to purchase this salvation. Thank you for your great love and kindness 
We could never, ever have any hope at all except that you paid the price. That's the only reason we have hope. You are Lord and God. This is why you're worthy of all the things that we've looked into this morning. Blessed be your holy name. You are indeed worthy. Blessed be your holy name, Lord Jesus. Be exalted in our lives. Be exalted in our marriages. Be exalted in our families. Be exalted in this fellowship. Because you deserve it. Because you are worthy. And now we thank you for communion. We're going to turn our attention to communion. We're thankful for this opportunity to give us to slow down and take time to remember, to remember what you did. Understand, remember the gravity of what you accomplished and the price that you paid. So we ask you to bless this time of communion as we continue to remember you and thank you with grateful hearts. Help us to continue to keep our eyes on you. And we ask this. In your name, amen.